look, we don't stop what we're doing. We're cooking the damn planet. And we don't have to worry, you know, about how many people in future generations are going to be uh, thinking about us. There won't be people in future generations. Earth's still going to be here. I don't know about the rest of us. So, to me, this is what a society is supposed to be doing. It's an age-old question. Can you do well by doing good? Welcome to the Grow for Good podcast, where we speak with leaders who strive to make a positive impact on the world. Here's the host of the Grow for Good podcast, Jed Morey. Ask Charles Vigliotti to reflect on his journey to constructing one of the most sophisticated anaerobic digesters in the world. He's likely to respond with, I'm just a garbage man. What do I know? What's an anaerobic digester, you ask? We'll get there. Before we do, let's go back a bit. The year is 1976. Arnold Charles and Dominic Vigliotti are running a garbage truck in Queens, New York. Day after day, the brothers hustled to make a living in the carting business at a time when New York City wasn't exactly pristine and the politics of waste management weren't either. But this was their territory, their truck, and their time. Now you might be wondering why Grow For Good is talking about a family carting business. Well, as the saying goes, one man's garbage is another man's gold. Along the way, the brothers added organic waste to their portfolio. Leaves, grass clippings, supermarket food waste. And over the next couple of decades, they turned their carting company into one of the largest composting businesses in the Northeast United States. Long Island Compost has developed engineered soil solutions for notable New York landmarks like the World Trade Center Memorial and the High Line. And their soil and compost and mulch products are sold all around the country. But it's their next chapter that might be the most interesting and rewarding experience thus far. And it might just change the world. Now let's talk about that anaerobic digester. Here's my conversation with American Organic Energy and Long Island Compost CEO, Charles Vigliotti. Welcome to the Grow for Good podcast, where we speak with high-profile corporate executives who lead by example to answer the age-old question, can you do well by doing good? I'm Jed Morey, CEO and founder of Morey Creative Studios, executive producer of the social justice podcast Newsbeat, and host of Grow for Good. Today is the ultimate home game and a true honor because I'm joined by the CEO and founder of American Organic Energy, Charles Vigliotti. It's a home game because, as you'll hear throughout this episode, Charles is undertaking one of the most daring and impactful initiatives in New York, where we live, something that will be a game changer here on the East Coast. It's an honor because Charles is a longtime friend, and I consider him a personal hero and a mentor. Charles, thank you for agreeing to come on the show. It's my pleasure, Jed. So I want to start by moving kind of methodically back through time because your origin story is just as fascinating as the legacy you're building right now. I want to put your career fully in context. So let's start with describing uh, what it is that you're building right now. The governor of New York called it one of the most important projects in New York State. You were awarded the Global Game Changer Award by the Swedish Biogas Academy and personally covered in a feature story in the New York Times Magazine. All of this in service of a project that few ever thought could actually happen in New York, let alone in a place like Long Island. And it's called an anaerobic digester. So, two-part question. Tell everybody just what the hell an anaerobic digester is and what it does. Anaerobic digestion is a technology for breaking down and recycling organic waste. 
In a nutshell, uh, the focus for our anaerobic digester is to take food waste that's uh, generated in the New York metropolitan area, and rather than exporting it to distant landfills uh, with all the negative environmental issues that are associated with that, We looked on the food waste as a resource. What could be done with it? How could it be repurposed, if you will, into something positive? And our education, our uh, search for uh, answers to this focused on what is the world's gold standard for handling organic waste, which is what food waste is. And what it does is it takes the food waste, it allows a purely natural occurring biological uh, process to proceed, and the gas that the decomposing food waste gives off is captured and repurposed into clean renewable energy. Okay, so in our use case here on Long Island, as an example, where does the organic waste primarily come from? How do you actually get a hold of it? Well, the focus here is uh, is purely food waste, and the food waste is generated in mind-boggling quantities in this area. We're talking about a New York metropolitan region of 10 million people, every one of them eating, consuming, creating food every day with a great deal of it going for, uh, for waste at the end. We know this from our kitchens at home. We purchase food, we cook the food, uh, we serve the food, there are leftovers on the table, and there are leftovers in the cooking process. Historically, this is thrown into the garbage, it's uh, picked up at the curb, and most people don't think about it again. But the reality is, the vast majority of food waste generated in the New York metropolitan region goes to landfills literally hundreds of miles away from us. Generating the food waste isn't a problem. What to do with it is the problem. So not only are you eliminating something from landfills in other parts of the country, no less, which is having a a much greater reach beyond just where this particular plant is located, you're also talking, you must be talking about taking a ton of traffic off the roads in addition to that. If we don't have to ship it out, right? Oh, you've got to think in terms of the size of the facility that we're building. American Organic Energy and Long Island Compost, uh, the parent company, if you will, industrialize the uh, recycling of this material. We're talking about 210,000 tons of waste a year that otherwise would go into tractor trailers. Our Analysis done with uh, NYSERDA, New York State Energy and Research Agency, estimates that we're going to be saving 1.4 million miles of uh, tractor-trailer traffic a year. That's all tractor-trailer traffic that would be on the Long Island Expressway going through the tunnels and the bridges uh, 
in New York City and traveling interstate highways. It's it's an enormous amount of truck traffic that we're going to be taking off the roads. And associated pollution that comes from that type of traffic and oh, yeah. Ima- jamming the roadways. Uh, uh, you know, um, imagine 1.4 million miles a year of diesel burning and uh, just eliminating that. That won't exist anymore, you know, once the plant is uh, up and operational. When we first learned about this project and uh, began to inquire about it and you were educating us, the thing that struck me was, and it, I guess it's helpful for people to understand, building it in the New York metropolitan area makes a lot of sense. Building it on Long Island, where we have a sole source aquifer, where we have so many regulations, where we have 3 million people packed into a very tight area, it's not like you can just put up a facility at you know at your whim in the middle of Idaho or Texas where there's abundant land and nobody cares about zoning and permits and there's no water that you're sitting on top of right so you're doing this in the most complicated of possible circumstances and you're doing it to scale if you can describe how much of the process you thought about in building this and scoping out this project because it's not just taking in the food waste and converting it You've really kind of thought of every possible particle that could come in and how it can convert to something useful at the end of the process. Can you go through each of those little stages? You touch on several different issues here, dealing with them one by one. You know, first is the whole land use issue. Uh, There's no such thing as an isolated site on Long Island. We have neighbors, we have residential neighbors, we have industrial neighbors. And based on our experience of uh, 40 years in the waste business, we understand that in order to create a facility that has sustainability and can act as a welcome addition to a neighborhood involves first hearing from stakeholders and addressing all the issues. So you deal with all the normal stuff truck traffic, noise, dust, odors are very big in this area. And you look to see how you can bulletproof a design. How do you manage truck traffic? How do you ensure that your neighbors aren't going to be able to see it, hear it, smell it, especially in its uh, day-to-day operation? This is an enormously large project. It's upwards of $100 million, and we knew we weren't going to be going anywhere unless we heard from the other stakeholders. There are many of them. You know, first and foremost is our community. Before we did anything, we sat down with the residents of the community. We outlined what we were currently doing on our site. We're building this on our existing site in uh, Yapank, New York. What were their concerns about our existing operation? And what would be their concerns about this uh, substantial expansion of the facility? And we took all of that into, into account. And we, uh, we came up with an agreement that the community first signed on to. New York State Department of Environmental Control then signed on for, and the local township, the town of Brookhaven, and the local county, Suffolk County, 
signed on for. So we made sure we had our stakeholders listened to and uh, we incorporated their concerns, justifiable concerns, by the way, in how we would build and operate this uh, major endeavor. After that, we went to our background, uh, mine and my brother's, of uh, you know over four decades in the waste business and waste handling. How do you get material from the back of a store, from the curb of a, uh, a household? How do you get it into a vehicle? How do you take that vehicle into the facility? How do you process the material to separate out uh, the food waste from the... Uh, other things that are not digestible that inevitably will come into the facility. How do you put in the kind of uh, equipment and technology to effectively handle this before it even goes into the digestion process? There's a lot of stuff that was involved in this. Now, let's talk about the product then. Mm -hmm. What comes out? So okay. we, we get the material there. And you spoke before about the methane gas emissions being able to actually be captured to power the plant itself, which in and of itself is, is incredible. But there's a product that comes out the other side of it. How many different iterations of a product? Like what comes out on the other side and what can you make use of? Okay. The way this works is... Uh Food waste comes in and you get two uh, major residuals from this. The first is the gas, and uh, we'll go through how that occurs. Uh, first of all, the material comes into a 50,000 square foot building. The building is uh, completely sealed, high-speed doors coming up. It uh, operates under what's known as negative air. So if the door opens, rather than air from inside the building escaping out of the building, fresh air from outside the building is actually sucked into the building so that there are no residual odors from the operation that are escaping into the atmosphere. The food waste comes in, it's pre-processed, a slurry is created, it's liquefied. That slurry is pumped into very large outdoor tanks. Tanks stand uh, 60 feet tall, 90 feet in diameter. They're very large tanks. Each one of them contains a million and a half gallons of slurry. Within that sealed tank, the naturally occurring microbes, microenzymes, the bugs actually consume the organic material. And as they consume the organic material, they give off a gas. That gas is then captured, we pull it through a series of pipes, and we create two things out of it. Number one, as you alluded to, we power our own on-site generators to create the electricity that's necessary to handle the parasitic load of the plant, the energy demands of the plant, with the rest of the electricity, the excess from that, going into the grid to help power the homes and businesses that our local mm. electric utility is uh, hooked up to. But the majority of that gas is going to be pulled and be cleaned up. Scientific processes where any sulfur is removed or oxygen is removed from it, and we're going to be creating renewable natural gas. 
Hmm. We're going to be creating over half a million MMBTUs of gas, and we're going to be putting that into the pipeline. To put that into perspective, that's enough gas to heat over uh, 5,000 homes. And one of the things about the, uh, the New York metropolitan region is uh, there is a shortage of natural gas in the region. And this is clean, renewable, natural gas coming from the food waste itself that otherwise would have gone into a landfill. Mm. The second major offshoot of this is after the material goes through this process, it comes back into our main processing building where the solids are all taken out. Meaning, after it's digested, there is still a substantial amount of uh, mass solids. And this is where the partnership with Long Island Compost, our original company, actually not our original company, but the company which American Organic Energy is an offshoot, handles that. Uh, Long Island Compost is the region's largest composter of organic material. We compost uh, several hundred thousand tons a year of organic material, mostly yard waste, grass clippings, leaves, etc. So we will incorporate those solids into our composting process and create a uh, soil amendment that uh, we've been marketing very successfully for, uh, for 25 years now. As some people might actually be familiar with the products themselves. I mean, you were distributed in Home Depot, I mean, throughout garden centers, throughout the metropolitan area, for sure, up in Connecticut, New Jersey, uh, all over the place, right? Yeah, we've, we've been very fortunate. Our products have gained you know, widespread acceptance in the, in the marketplace, and, uh, and we market them under various uh, trade names. And we have an exclusive distribution agreement with uh, Scott's miracle Grow for that end of our business. Long Island Compost in and of itself is actually a a remarkably innovative company, another grow for good type of example where the very foundation of that company is built for good. It's to do good for all of the community inhabitants and businesses, and it has a for-profit motive as well. So you built a company that already did really good things, and it was a good business. So you could have stopped there, but then somewhere along the way, it occurred to you that you could go all the way in the supply chain and include the anaerobic digester. Has this happened in other parts that you look to, or is this going to be different and special? Let me slow you down for a second. It sounds terrific as if uh, this idea sprung fully formed. An overnight success 40 uh, years in the making. In in, in the... uh, dark recesses of of my mind. Uh, That was anything but the truth. Is your company looking to scale? Mori Creative Studios is a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot's platform to achieve sustainable and predictable growth. From video production and inbound content marketing to sales and customer retention strategies, Mori Creative Studios provides comprehensive digital solutions for your company so you can grow for good. Visit moricreative.com to learn more. Let's go back to Long Island Compost. Long Island Compost, which really came out of uh, mine and my brother's history in the waste business just in general. The easiest way to describe Long Island Compost business model is it's, it's really very simple. We procure organic waste, we process organic waste, and we market organic products. 
Historically, with Long Island compost, as I said before, you know, we, uh, we procured uh, yard waste, grass clippings, leaves, etc., which also, by the way, historically went into landfills. Right. And uh, we took that material, learned about composting, taught ourselves how to compost, and then just industrialized it. Learned how to make product and uh, basically, uh, you know, learned how to market product. My brother Arnold and I were waste guys. I didn't know anything about marketing a finished product. Uh, you know, I certainly didn't know anything about marketing a finished product to households and uh, to uh, gardeners all over the place. But we learned. You know, we're nothing but two guys and now 150 men and women uh, to the company that just get up every day and just try to do a good job. We made every mistake that any entrepreneur in this arena could possibly make, and uh, that will probably resonate with most of the entrepreneurs that might hear this. But uh, thankfully, they didn't prove fatal, and um, we learned from them. Now, the whole idea of processing food waste also was not something that sprung from my creative mind, um, but rather we started fielding questions from generators. So you would have an industrial company um, with a large cafeteria, and they would come to us and say, hey, can you compost our food waste? We didn't know anything about it, so like we said, with a lot of things. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Why not? And, uh, and, and actually, you can compost food waste. Uh, the problem was the technology that works very well for composting yard waste has certain limitations with food waste. For example, there's uh, no tolerance for contamination in the infeed, meaning I can't compost a plastic bag, and uh, the technology we use couldn't remove a plastic bag. Uh, we didn't know how to handle glass. We didn't know how to handle metal in this. So there were limitations of our technology. That's where we began to look for other technologies to be able to handle this material. Because the material was out there, and we were fielding requests on a weekly basis mm. from, you name it, uh, universities, uh, cafeterias, uh, assisted living facilities, um, catering halls. So we looked around, uh, looked far and wide, uh, looked to what uh, technologies there were at work in this country, and uh, you know, finally wound up going to Europe and seeing what the Europeans were doing, who had a much longer history with this. And we settled on what we've come to realize was the gold standard utilizing anaerobic digestion. So that's where we're at. It's funny that you, you talk about how just two guys that understood the waste business and there was a, the possibility of taking in organic materials and then outputting organic materials, but as a product and productizing you know, this waste material. Sounds relatively simple when you put it like that, but actually it's not. And one of the things that I know about Long Island Compost is that perfecting the process over the years was really a, a primary goal of yours and your brother Arnold's to the extent that when the World Trade Center wanted to build the Memorial Gardens in lower Manhattan, they had specific requirements for engineered soil. The High Line in Manhattan 
certain golf courses and uh, uh, big properties, commercial properties, landscape properties. When an arch- landscape architect has a particular vision for planting things that might not be native to that particular area, it's not just about bringing in soil to build a landscape. A rooftop garden, green, uh, the green gardens, the green landscapes that we're beginning to see in cities, these are all different applications that required engineered soils. You're not a scientist, but you are the go-to manufacturer for engineered soils for some of the most high-profile landscape things that we see all throughout the metropolitan area. How did that come to be? Well, once again, I alluded to the fact that we didn't know a thing about marketing product, but we looked at opportunities. Well, you're right. I'm not a scientist and uh, uh, my kids will tell you half a dummy. You know, I got some smart people, though, uh, working for me. And uh, and we saw that uh, almost all of these high profile planting jobs needed specific soil mixes. But the thing is, uh, compost is the basic building block of all of them. Mm. We developed a certain reputation, and, uh, and I don't mind saying this, I think we make the best compost in the world. And we've been able to, off that, create very high-quality products that people like uh, Central Park Conservancy specifies in all of their planting uses. Exactly why and the science behind it. You know, it's, it's pretty established, uh, you know, and I think most uh, even amateur gardeners know that compost helps your plants grow better. So we just made real good compost and then tried to figure out ways to make good potting mixes so that a homeowner can go into a uh, Home Depot or a Lowe's or the local garden center and purchase the product, or uh, the High Line can use it for very specific planting uh, uses for very specific plants. Mm-hmm. As a longtime uh, admirer and advocate of the work that you've done over the years, you have a tendency to kind of walk away from just how how elaborate and high, how dynamic this entire process is. And you're, you're able to boil it down into simple terms for people to understand. But I think it's important for entrepreneurs out there and for city agencies and, and any regions that are contemplating making the moves that you've made. This wasn't just a couple of guys that knew how to take in organic materials and build compost and are going to decide to build a digester. This is a lifelong science-based initiative that you've been undertaking that has uh, it has good core values, solid best practices to manufacture materials, market them, bring them to market, and now involved in one of the most scientific processes that are going to benefit the greater good everywhere from the land where these locations of the landfills are, out of state, the truck traffic and the diesel fumes, to the neighbors that are going to be able to enjoy fewer trucks on the road locally, and to just having a better framework for our local infrastructure. So I can appreciate that you say it's just a couple of guys that learned how to do it, but the science behind this really is uh, kind of magnificent for a lot of people to hear. Yeah, not bad for a guy who barely got through high school chemistry at Chaminade. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. So we usually examine two distinct corporate profiles. And the examples that we give is one is a company that is founded on a sustainable proposition, 
So think like renewable energy, like American organic energy or maybe healthcare, but it also has a profit motive. And the other is a company that becomes defined by its good deeds, even though that's not core to its business model. An example there might be Patagonia. Patagonia has an, an incredible reputation for sustainability initiatives. And yet, you know, they just make fleeces. It's just a, it's a great company, but they're known for their core values. So American organic energy kind of falls into both categories because it is designed for a really good purpose and it has a profit motive. You're a capitalist, you're in this to make some money and you employ a lot of people and you have a great responsibility. But we are all going to benefit from this product, from this process. And you will be identified by that very thing. So you probably fall most firmly into this idea of grow for good in this camp that we're, we're trying to explore. Not everybody can walk into this type of enterprise, though, because as we just explained, it took you 40 years to get here to this point where you could do this. For entrepreneurs starting today, for other businesses that might already be operating, if they say to you, man, I wish I could do good in the world like your thing is doing good in the world, but I'm just so in the weeds, what would you suggest to them? Jed, I am the last person in the world to give someone else advice. Um, not because I wouldn't want to, but just because I don't really think I'm, I'm capable of it. Because a little different from Patagonia or a healthcare provider or something like that, the very essence of, of our company is doing something good and, and having to make money at it. This is not a government initiative. It never was. Every single quarter, that we have invested or spent over here came from us, you know, or came from financing from our banks. I would love to have been in a position to have been able to just take a flyer and uh, spend a whole bunch of money, uh, believe me, a whole bunch of money to, uh, you know, create our, our, our business model. But I had to answer to my lenders, to my bankers, every single day of my life since the 1970s. Hmm. I had to make a profit. And fortunately, we have. There have been certainly some very lean years for us along the way. Uh, you know, as any entrepreneur knows, it is never a straight line from um, initiative to tremendous success. I mean, I don't even you know, consider ourselves a success yet. Um, we still focus not on what we've done, but on what we have to do. I once sat down with a banker. It was a long time ago. It was 30 years ago. I don't know. I was coming to him for a loan for some equipment, maybe some trucks or something like that. And the banker asked me at the time, well, what's your business plan? I said, well, you know, we're going to get up. We're going to go to work. You know, we're going to pay the loan back. Uh, he goes, no, no, you know, uh, you know, we need to see a written business plan. And uh, listen, I, I don't have an MBA, you know, so I don't know what a business plan was. I scratched my head. I said, well, I'll tell you what my business plan is. You're going to loan me the money. I'm going to buy whatever we were looking to buy at the time. And... uh my brother and I and uh, everybody that works for the company is going to get up tomorrow and we're going to go to work and we're going to do our damn best. And at the end of the day, we're going to go home to our families and then we're going to come back the next day and we're going to do the same thing. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if I got that Did you get it? from that guy. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't recall, but uh, you know, we wound up getting by and we wound up growing the company. Company started with just uh, my brother Arnold, my brother Dominic at the time, and uh, and me working on the back of a garbage truck, picking up uh, trash at midnight in uh, Jackson Heights, Queens. Mm. So, Very similar to most origin stories, of course. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, maybe not exactly, you know, but, uh, you know, at, at the heart of almost any uh, successful enterprise, it's usually a humble beginning. I don't know a lot about, I don't know, 21st century uh, economics. I don't know anything about super high-tech industries. Uh, I don't know a damn thing about. Um, Says the man building an anaerobic digester that's going to take in how many? How many tons of waste? Uh, 210,000 tons a year. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Uh, Figure 600 tons a day of food waste. My God. That's a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> but we're used to handling things on a, uh, on a large industrial level. Doesn't scare us. A couple quick questions before we wrap up. Why didn't you stop? Because what you're undertaking right now is massive. But you had a very, very successful business, and it took you years to get there. You didn't have to change a thing. Yes, it's 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 just what's what's the next challenge? Why? What what, what, can, what is it about you though? What? Why not just be happy in that success? What drove you to take on such a big challenge, though? You got to do something with your life. It's a shame this isn't video because you could see how perplexed Charles is at the question. Like, why wouldn't I? Well, it's a silly, it's a silly question. You know, someday, someday, Jed, we're all going to be compost. I want to be able to look back and say something or think I did more with my life besides uh, perfect a golf game. There's that answer. And so when American Organic Energy has been around for a very long time, and maybe you and Arnold are only perfecting your golf games, or it's after you're gone. When people think about American organic energy, what do you want them to think about? Group of good people that uh, that did good work and uh, moved the needle, changed things, not just locally, but we want to export this. We want to be able to spread this to other areas of of the country because this is how a twenty first century society. A sustainable 21st century society is supposed to handle this material. Look, we don't stop what we're doing. We're cooking the damn planet. And we don't have to worry, you know, about how many people in future generations are going to be uh, thinking about us. There won't be people in future generations. Earth's still going to be here. I don't know about the rest of us. So, to me, this is what a society is supposed to be doing. To learn more about Charles's initiatives and his company, visit usbiopower.com. Thank you for listening to Grow for Good. Charles, thanks for taking the time to come and speak to me today. Pleasure, Jed. The Grow for Good podcast is produced and distributed by Mori Creative Studios, a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot to achieve sustainable growth. Grow for Good is a registered trademark of Mori Creative Studios.